Today we are launching a brand new series called On the Way to Calvary, uh, as you see on the screen. On the Way to Calvary. And what we are going to do over the course of the next few weeks leading up to Easter, which is, mark your calendars, April the 5th. In the few weeks leading up to Easter, we are going to take a journey with Jesus as he traveled to Jerusalem as he traveled to ultimately Calvary, which is where he died on the cross for our sins and for our forgiveness and so that we may have life. And so we are kind of figuratively taking this journey with Jesus on the way to Calvary. And so uh, this comes from our, our verse that we take this from, that's kind of the beginning of our passage for today is in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It's a point in the gospel story where Jesus says, I am going to Jerusalem. And he was determined. Nothing was going to stand in his way. I am on the way to Jerusalem. And he knew what that meant. He knew that that was where he would offer up his life for all of us. And so this is a turning point in the gospel because once this happens, the movement picks up steam. The expectations of the disciples increase. Everything that's going on is moving towards the climactic end. And so there are some incredible encounters that Jesus has along the way. And uh, we're going to look at some of those over the course of the next few weeks. And as we begin the series... Today, as Jesus has set his face resolutely for Jerusalem, as we begin this part with that part right there, we're going to talk about the excuses that we come up with that might keep us from making the journey of following Christ. And I don't know about you, but um, excuses are one of those things that come fairly naturally to me. I am at my creative best when I don't want to do something. I don't know if any of you are like this, but I am at my absolute creative best when I don't want to do something. I can come up with excuses if there's something I don't want to do that I'd never even thought of before. Um, you know, like when you're in high school and your mom says, hey, can you clean your room? And I'm like, ah, so-and-so really needs me. I've got to go be a good friend. I'm going to go and help him. There, His girlfriend broke up with him again. Uh, and then somebody will ask you, hey, can you help me move this weekend? I was like, nope, sorry, it's my wife's birthday. Uh, I thought her birthday was in August. It's her other birthday. She just has a lot. And, and we, we come up with these excuses, and um, one I thought of is if I'm ever asked the question, Anthony, can you fill in as a small group leader for the hyper sixth grade guys, my response is going to be, nope, I really need to polish the signs at the church. They're <laughs> brand new, but they're really in bad need of being polished. That's got to be my excuse. And in sitcoms, I would see this when I was growing up. I, I don't understand this because um, I've never been a girl, but when a guy would ask a girl out on a date and she didn't want to go, the excuse always seemed to be, I have to wash my hair. Does it really take that long? I mean... I was never actually told that or anything, but I, I've always wondered if it really takes that long that you have to dedicate, I see some nods, I see some nods, that it does, in fact, take that long, that you need to block off an entire Friday night for that. Uh, a friend of mine in college, we would come up with kind of outlandish um, excuses when we didn't want to do something, like I would say, hey, you want to go grab dinner? He's like, nope, got to re-asphalt my driveway tonight. Tonight, I'm like, 
you live in a dorm, man. What are you talking about? Re-asphalt your driveway. We would just come up with these really elaborate things. Um, and then we would, jury duty was a go-to. We would always say, ah, sorry, I got jury duty. Um, and then I actually had jury duty. And that was awkward because I legitimately had jury duty. And uh, he's like, sure you do. But uh, legitimately, I did. Uh, and a lot of times, we come up with these excuses. Um, there are excuses people make to not go to work. Um, there are excuses people have when they really don't want to do something, uh, whatever that might be. But sometimes there are legitimate excuses. Sometimes there are excuses that legitimately have some grounds to them. They're, they're truthful. And really, if you look at it, they're not that crazy of requests. And those are the kind of excuses that Jesus encounters in our passage for today with three would-be disciples, people who possibly could have joined the movement, possibly could have been disciples, possibly would have had books of the Bible named after them, possibly would have been listed among the many great folks that launched the church and made it a worldwide movement. But they didn't. And it, there were three different encounters. They're both really short, right in a row at the end of Luke 9. But in each one, I think there's something we can pull out of it that, that speaks to our own life and how we tend to make excuses. The first one comes from Luke 9, verses 57 and 58. And this one, the excuse is implied. It's not actually given. But it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Like I said, this one, the person doesn't actually give an excuse, but Jesus anticipates there's going to be some pushback when he finds out what he's really getting into. And there's a theme that develops with all of these is that there is a cost involved with following Jesus. There is a cost that takes place if we want to follow Christ. And the, the cost in this particular case, Jesus is communicating to him, just so you know, if you join in the journey with me, I'm a homeless guy. I'm on the move. The movement is, is living and active. We are going from town to town proclaiming the good news, healing the sick, uh, feeding the poor, uh, caring for widows and orphans. And there is no place to call home when you're a part of this movement. And so the first thing that we see when it comes to following Christ is that it may cost us our status. It may cost us the things that we hold dear, the luxuries of life. Um, transitioning from someone who has a home, is part of a family, to all of a sudden being a homeless wanderer on the move with Jesus. Um, most of us are not going to be called in our walk with Christ to give up our homes but it might cost us something within our status. It might cost something that we might have aspired to, but following Jesus is going to mean something different. Um, I remember, I've told this story before, but I remember when I was uh, in sixth grade, I just finished sixth grade. It was the summer before my seventh grade year. I went to the guitar store, the music store with my mom, and it, it was this funny encounter because on the way it was either on the way there or on the way back. My mom said, we need to pray for you learning to play guitar. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to need all the help I can get. Um, but she was saying that we, 
let's just pray for you buying this guitar and kind of say a prayer of blessing over it. And in her prayer, uh, she was like, we just pray that Anthony would have opportunities to play at church and uh, that he would serve the Lord through music. And, um, and then she finished praying and I rebuked my own mother. I said, I do not want to play at church. I want to be a rock star. And I, I had clear aspirations of status for myself and what buying this bright red guitar was going to mean for me. And my mom got the final laugh in that one. But th there were several things that I wrestled with as I was growing up that as I surrendered my life to God, I realized I'm not going to have the, necessarily those things. I'm not going to be able to take part in that part of the status. And it, it may mean that you, you don't have quite as nice of a home as you want to. It, it could be a variety of different things, but a lot of times there are luxurious things, uh, and I, I know shelter is, is one of those um, rights that you're supposed to have, but there are several luxurious things that we might have to set aside if we're going to follow Christ. Now, the second one is a little more blatant. This guy has a clear excuse why he can't follow right now. In the second one, verses 59 and 60, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the, bury, the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And it's kind of this interesting thing. If you don't know much about the Jewish context, the, the Jewish customs, you, you may not catch what this was about. It's very highly unlikely that this man talking to Jesus has just seen his father pass away and they're just waiting on the son to bury the father. This is not an interaction that takes place within the funeral line procession. More than likely what this was, was there was a custom that Jewish people followed, and it was the son's responsibility to fulfill it. And what they would do is they would bury the body immediately after death, and then a year later, um, this is a little different, um, I apologize if you're getting an image of it, but a year later they would dig up the body, and they would take the bones and they would put them in a box and then they would re rebury it. It was a, a very common custom in the Middle East. And it, within Jewish families, it was the responsibility. It was this huge traditional line of customs where the, the son would be responsible for doing that act. So it's possible that this guy was saying, sure, I'll follow you, but it might take up to a year before I'm able to go. And what Jesus says is, it sounds kind of harsh, but he, he says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And sometimes when it comes to uh, our lives and following Christ, it might require us, it might cost us our traditions. It might cost us the things that we hold dear to, the customs that we hold dear to, whether those are cultural expectations or, or family expectations. I remember when I was, when I graduated from college, the first three years I was out of college, I worked at the University of Georgia Wesley Foundation, and 
Uh, we had a very large staff, and they didn't pay any of us. We were all pretty much volunteer missionary status employees of the Wesley Foundation. Um, and so what we had to do is we had to raise our own support. And I remember very vividly knowing that that was what I was called to do. I remember being sure that I was supposed to spend a year, two years, maybe even three, serving in that capacity. And I knew that it, it came with that stipulation that I was going to have to raise my own support. But there, there were many people that I encountered along the way. First of all, let me say there are many people I encountered that were very generous, uh, that invested in me and, and helped make that possible. But there were also some that I encountered, some within my family, some friends who didn't understand it, who didn't get it. It wasn't the traditional way to go about life. It wasn't the customary thing that most people normally do. They expect, hey, you graduated, you got a degree, now go earn a living. And it, it was just a different concept that because I felt called to do that, I had to kind of explain it to folks. But laying down our tradition can sometimes be difficult to do um, because the world is constantly changing and people want to hold on to things that might be part of the past, might be part of their cultural expectations. But, but sometimes God calls us to step out of that comfort zone and, and to branch out and do something new. The movement that Jesus was a part of, that he had started on earth, was going against many of the cultural expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to be and, and what a rabbi was supposed to be. Yet people flocked to it because even though it came at a high cost, uh, there was great life and there was great excitement that was a part of it. And so sometimes we might have to give up parts of our tradition. You know, it's become more and more customary uh, as a tradition today for people to, um, you know, really try to kind of keep all their expendable time to themselves. But it might cost us our time. It might cost us opportunities um, where we have to give up something that culture might say, this is what you want to do with your time. We might have to give that up for the sake of being disciples. Now, the third one, I think is the one that we struggle with the most today. And you kind of have to read into it a little bit to understand where I'm getting at that. But the third one says this, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Sounds like a pretty legitimate request. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, a little bit of context is helpful here because um, it seems like a pretty legitimate request. Hey, can I say bye to mom and dad before I head out on this journey with this crazy homeless guy who's changing the world. Um, and, and Jesus is saying, no, there's no time for that. We've got to keep moving, and you've got to jump on board and be a part of it. Now, the, the context for that was that there was a, a custom in which when you left the family to go follow a disciple, or to go become a disciple of someone, there was this huge celebration where everyone would come and say goodbye to you. Um, and so he 
essentially is saying, please don't let me miss out on this experience that I want to be a part of. Please don't let me miss out on my farewell party. And Jesus was saying, uh, it's time to go. The time is now, and you've, you've got to keep moving forward if you're going to follow me. And so with this one, it may cost us our convenience. It may cost us our, our sense of timing, our experience in which we want to do things on our path, on our way of doing things. It means surrendering and costing us uh, the experience of doing things at the right time that we want to do them. There, there's a famous study that was done several years ago, uh, and we've talked about this before in here when we've talked about the Good Samaritan, but there was uh, at Princeton Seminary, these researchers came in and did an experiment with seminary students. And these are people who are going to become pastors. And what they did is they met with them on one building on campus and said, we're going to interview you, ask you a few questions, and then we need you to go to this other building across campus where they're going to ask you a few more questions. And so the people would sit down and they, they would talk through them, and they would ask him questions like, why did you decide to go into the ministry? Why, um, you know, how do you understand the parable of the Good Samaritan? Things like that. And then what would happen is they had someone who was dressed up uh, as a homeless person who had been severely beaten uh, and pretty much left for dead. So pretty much like what you experience in the story of the Good Samaritan. And what they did is they changed one variable between each, each person that they interviewed. And that was how much time they gave them to get to the next part of the interview. And there, there were a couple of other things that they, they tweaked as they went, but that was the most significant one. And what they discovered was even the ones that said the Good Samaritan story is about helping those that are in need that we see, that we encounter. Even though there were several of them who said, I'm going into the ministry to help those that are less fortunate. Some even said, I'm going into the ministry um, to work with homeless people. Um, what they answered on those things did not matter. The one variable that mattered was how much time they thought they had to get to the next part of the interview. Because some of them, they would say, quick, hurry, they're waiting for you, you're running late, you won't make it in time. And so those people would dash off. They said one person even stepped over the person on the sidewalk on their way running to the next part of the interview. The only ones who would stop were the ones who were allotted plenty of time, where they said, take your time. Don't worry about anything. You've got plenty of time, about half an hour, and it's only about five minutes away. Those that thought they had the time would take the time to stop and help. And I think a lot of times when it comes to following Christ, when it comes to following Jesus, we want it to happen according to our schedule of convenience. We want it to happen when we've got plenty of time. It's, it's when when it's convenient for us, when it's something that we uh, can just easily latch on to, it doesn't really inconvenience our schedule too much. 
And, and what we, we find is that we're in this constant battle between convenience and commitment. Jesus asked for commitment, but what we want so many times is convenience. A lot of times we want a Christianity that doesn't expect too much out of us. And so Jesus in this is saying, this is going to cost you something. It may not happen on your schedule, but follow me. And Jesus calls us to things that may not always be comfortable. Following Christ can mean responding in love to those who are unkind to us. It could mean making sacrifices of luxury items that we might like to have. It might mean taking time out of our schedule to help those that we see that are in need. It might mean even surrendering our anxieties to God and letting Jesus be Lord even over those things. And this morning, I think it's easy for us to think of excuses why we wouldn't want to follow Christ. And if you're taking notes this morning, you may want to write down um, your answer to this. But the question is, what's your excuse? What's something that you would struggle to give up if Christ called you to give up for the sake of following him? What's something that you would wrestle with? Is it convenience? Is it, is it time? Is it something else? Is it something luxurious? Is it some sort of expectation that's been placed on you by, by culture or by your family? And then remember this. First verse we read today. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You see, for Jesus... There was determination. He was determined to go and lay down his life for us. And all that was asked is that we would make whatever sacrifice it took to follow him. Now the question for us is, is what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? I think for people that Jesus encountered in this story, it was pretty simple. It meant hopping in the line, joining the caravan, and being a part of the ministry that he was doing. But for they would literally walk in his steps. But for us, I think it theoretically can be summed up in one word. And that word is surrender. Surrendering our ambitions, surrendering uh, our thoughts of ourselves, surrendering our, our status, our customs, our convenience in order to follow Christ. From a practical perspective, I think it means this. I think it means studying his teachings and actually living them out. Not just hearing the word, but being doers of the word as well. Jesus' expectations for his disciples was that they would take part in the very same ministry that he was doing. Jesus would heal people. He'd call his disciples to go and heal people. Jesus would minister to the poor. He'd invite his disciples to minister to the poor. Jesus would go around proclaiming the good news, saying that God has come, the kingdom of heaven is near, and, and salvation is possible for you. And then he called on his disciples to go and proclaim that exact same message. And so Jesus calls us to that. He calls us to follow 
Him. And part of that means that we go wherever it is He goes. Jesus wasn't afraid of crossing cultural lines. Jesus wasn't afraid of what other people might think. He was 100% resolutely committed to lay down His life for those that He loved. And so... I believe for us that the call is to do the same. It's to jump in with what Jesus is doing and to live into what it means to follow him. And this is what I found. I found that when I am following Jesus completely, that my life feels complete. That doesn't mean that it's easy. It might come at a cost. But it does mean that my life uh, feels complete. But I realize I can't get there if I'm constantly practicing my excuse making. I can't get there unless I'm ready to put aside uh, the things of this world and resolutely follow after Christ. Because when I journey with Christ, it's then that I can experience grace. I can experience grace for myself. And I can experience love for God and love for one another. Um, there's a guy in our church who uh, I absolutely love being around. Um, his name's John Higgison. He's a retired guy. Uh, and I told him I was going to use him as a positive example, and he laughed at me. Um, but John uh, is, has got an absolute heart of gold. And he will do anything and everything uh, to help the church. He's here more than some people on staff are, I think. Uh, he is just absolutely committed to help in any way that he can. And he does it with this absolute uh, joy. He's always jovial and, and a joy to be around. And, and there was something he said one day in the office that I think really spoke to me. Um, I think it... It speaks to us when we, when we sit on the sideline and we don't engage with what God's doing. He said, you know, I worked my entire career. I had kids. I was just trying to provide a paycheck, trying to provide for my family. Um, and I, I went to church, but I, I never really got plugged in. I never really engaged uh, in my relationship with the Lord. It was just something I did. He said, well... The kids were gone, I was retired, and, and there was this void in my life. And he said that he got plugged in, started serving within the church, started serving others, putting others above himself, uh, living into that fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, and patience. And he started living into that, and this is what he said. He said, I feel like I was cheated out of all those years that I wasn't engaged. He said, because my life is so much more full now. And I think that that's what we miss out on. We think that it's going to cost us our time. We think it's going to cost us our convenience. But what we miss out on when we don't follow Christ, when we come up with the excuses for why we can't, it's like sitting there on the sidelines and we may not realize what it is we're missing out on. And so this morning, as we close out with a couple of songs, the invitation is uh, pretty simple. Some of you may need to take that first step of following Christ. 
And all that takes is making that decision, surrendering your life to God, and saying that I will follow Jesus. For some of you, it might mean taking your excuses and coming to the altar and laying them down before the Lord and says, I don't want to make this excuse anymore. Show me what it means to follow after Christ. And for some of you, it might just be a means of saying, God, I've strayed afar from you, but I want to get back on track and follow wherever you would lead. And so as the band comes back up, we're going to close out with a couple of songs, and I invite you to use this time uh, for prayer, for reflection, for singing. The altar is open if you would like to come and pray, if you would like to come and make that decision today.